What's going on, crypto family? So today we got Ruben Yap, the COO of Zcoin, coming on. He's an attorney. He's one of the creators of, I guess, one of the bigger VPN companies in Southeast Asia. Uh, he's known for, uh, you know, living in Borneo, right? Uh, a land of, I guess it'd be like what orangutans and headhunters. He talks to us about how privacy coins are kind of like sniffing farts. That's right, privacy coins are kind of like sniffing farts. So you gotta hear his analogy, it's pretty amazing. Uh, but not as amazing as his a story where he talks about how he was attacked, an armed attacker, how they come after him with a knife. So this is kind of a different interview. It was a lot of fun. I had a great time hearing all the stuff that they're doing at Zcoin. Uh, I had a great time, you know, talking with Ruben. Just a friendly reminder, Crypto Beatles shows are never financial advice, recommendations, or trading strategies. The views expressed here are solely that of Robert Beatles and his guests. Robert Beatles is a co-founder of the Monarch Wallet, host of Trading News Sessions, Crypto Beatles on YouTube, and on several entities. Robert's opinions here do not reflect that of those entities. Some information shared here may not actually be factual. These shows are for information and entertainment purposes only. Never invest a single Satoshi or penny in anything without first seeking the counsel and advice of a professional financial advisor. Robert Beatles is not a financial expert or advisor. Investing in anything is super dangerous. You can lose all of your money, so always trade at your own risk. And one last thing before we get into this, please help us grow the family. Give us a comment and review on the Apple or Google Play Store. It's super quick and easy. Just scroll down, click the little stars, comment, and just help us grow the family. All right, so now that that's out of the way, let's get into this. What is going on, Crypto Family? So today we got Ruben Yap with us. He is the COO of Zcoin, man. It's great to have you here, man. And um, you're over there in Borneo right now, so really appreciate you taking time out for us to tell us all about the stuff you're doing, man. So thanks a bunch. Thanks so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. Awesome, man. So you're in Borneo, dude. Tell us about it, man. What's uh, what's it like there? You know, are you able to uh, you know escape from the headhunters and from all the gorillas, orangutans, and you know, what, what, <laughs> else, what else do you have there lurking behind behind the window? Ah, uh, well, well, Borneo is in Malaysia, and we are kind of like on the east side, and we're kind of on a little island on ourselves, and we're famous for our tropical jungles, uh, our orangutans, and we have a history of headhunters, the ones that <laughs> cut people's head off and hang them in for protection. Uh, that isn't doesn't happen anymore, thankfully. Um, but now it's, now it's yeah. down in the United States. Yeah, they're called like a <laughs> SEC. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But yeah, it's a really nice place. It's um, I think it's a nice mix of like a small town and you know with easy access to like all the best amenities. Yeah, awesome. So you're about an hour from Singapore then by flight. Yep, that's right. And it's a direct flight. We can fly to KL, Singapore. I think that's about it. <laughs> but you know, once you're in Singapore, KL, you can connect the air everywhere. But gotcha. The uh, you know the the airport's like. 15 minutes from from anywhere so that's really convenient as well yeah i mean it's a, it's one of those destination places people always want to go to and they you know say that it's beautiful it's amazing but what made you choose to live there man especially doing crypto you know of all things right where you kind of be gonna you, you kind of got to be connected right and it seems like you're you know kind of on an island uh <laughs> yeah it's true like the rest right. of the things the headers i I'm the only one here. <laughs> uh, so we have quite a distributed team. But I grew up here, you know, my career as a lawyer started here and, you know, my wife's here. I think that's the main reason. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's it's just a stone throws away from, I would say, civilization. And hey, you know, 
I'm in the jungle and I get 800 megabit internet, so I'm not complaining. <laughs> so it's not too bad. Yeah. Yeah, not too bad at all. So you said you were an, you were an attorney, you were a lawyer. So what uh, what made you you know leave being you know legal professional to get into cryptocurrency of all things? Um, well, my my family actually comes from a family of lawyers. So um, my dad, my my sister, so we, they're all lawyers. My my wife actually also comes from a family of lawyers. She's the only doctor, uh, and I. I did law because I didn't know what else to do uh, because I was like, oh, I'm not so keen on math, um, even though I came from a science stream. And then after that, I was doing it for, for many years and I, I guess I, I learned a lot and I liked the thought process, the logic uh, that comes with being a lawyer. But um, as it went along, especially in the last few years of my legal career, I didn't exactly like all the, the cases that I was dealing with. Like sometimes I'm like, mm, you know, I feel like I'm the bad guy, you know, and, and sometimes like, why am I helping these people? And I think some of the worst things was that uh, I did work where, you know, I'll spend like months of my life doing this report and then doing analysis. Uh, so some, one of the works I did was like to help a government like track feasibility of an area to, to do a certain project and see how the legal frameworks kind of like match up. It became really obvious that they didn't really care what I wrote. <laughs> so like you're just like spending months of your life doing something that's just going to be chucked away and fouled off somewhere and it's just a check mark to say, yeah, I've done this study. And I found that really demoralizing. So of course, you know, when the 2017, I've actually always been into like computers uh, and then like fancy stuff. Um, and, and yeah, uh, so when 2017 came around, the whole bull market, uh, you know, I had enough financial independence to say, okay, look, screw this. I'm not going to do law anymore. <laughs> I told my dad like, hey, you know, if I'm going to stay here uh, versus like doing crypto, um, you know, it's, it's a legit career choice. And I've actually like kind of been working part time on Zcoin at that point since 2016. So yeah, um, I think 2017 was the catalyst. I really, really enjoyed what I was doing and I was regaining a sense of control of my life because I was overworking myself and, and just, I just wanted to focus on one thing and Zcoin was it because I really believe in privacy, you know, for having been targets of, uh, you know, breaches of privacy myself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What do you mean? What, uh, what happened to you? What, uh, you said breaches of, of privacy, somebody attack you and some good old, uh, good old phishing attacks, social engineering, what they do? No, actually I, it's more of like, uh, I think it's more in relation to censorship, uh, you know, feeling that like there's actually nowhere to, to hide your, your information. Uh, I mean, I even had, hmm, I'm not sure whether I should mention this, but yeah, I was basically, uh, the police actually came to me um, in here in Malaysia. If, if anyone does something with your internet connection, uh, you are responsible for your like prima facie. So it's like a reverse burden of proof. And I had rented my place out to, to some people and I got into trouble because of that. Uh, and somebody, somebody you rented the place to was doing something nefarious yeah, or something and you took really, the blame really bad yeah and I had to like deal with hours of questioning for that uh, a lot it's of embarrassment an attorney it's a good thing you're an attorney right yeah. so you know, you know what's up <laughs> and uh, also on top of that like 
um, when I was starting the, my VPN business because the main reason why I started my VPN business is because my government was censoring stuff. Uh, they were at first it targeted, okay, let's ban all porn sites. Let's ban, okay, P2P. And then it started getting worse and worse and started banning like uh, political speech. And that was a real like sort of wake up call. And when I was trying to start my VPN company, I was really frustrated because all these payment platforms were actually denying me. I had my credit card access uh, to accept credit card payments cut off. PayPal came on, you know, charging me exorbitant fees and, and trying to, uh, you know, every time like I'm at a risk of one, one risk of shutdown just because they didn't like the VPN business. I mean, now to, nowadays it's like, yeah, I use the VPN. But then it was like, oh, you're using a VPN. Uh, you must be doing something wrong or, or something illegal. That's why you need a VPN. And that's, the, the, the kind of narrative that's happening to get today with privacy cryptocurrencies as well. Uh, and because of that, that's actually how I got into Bitcoin in like 2012, 2013. I was like, crap, you know, someone asked me to, to set Bitcoin. I was really fed up with all these other payment methods. And that's kind of, kind of, you know, got into all of this. But yeah, you know, I, I really believe in, um, I feel that privacy is really important, especially to keep like governments in check. When people are talking about, you know, anti-money laundering, terrorist thing. Yeah, it does happen. But then you then cast such a wide net that you are introducing more evils to enable this. Like sometimes it's just use it as an excuse because, you know, in reality, not that many people use cryptocurrencies for, for this type of stuff. It's still cash is king. So, um, yeah, that's a bit of a ramble there. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was, it was a lot of information. It was great. You know, some of the things you touched on, like when you were an attorney, how uh, basically you kind of had to look at yourself in the mirror in the morning, right? And you're like, why in the hell am I defending this person, right? So, you know, from going from that to, you said you had a VPN company yep. to, to, to now, you know, obviously you get your own privacy coin. So what kind of walk us through the timeline there. So you were an attorney and then you created your VPN company and then you went to, basically you went full-time into crypto. So full-time crypto was the end of 17. When was the VPN? Uh, the VPN was actually in 2007. And I actually started that when I began my legal career, I was chambering uh, and they wouldn't, they weren't giving me that much work. Uh, they, you know, as a chamber, you like, you do all the, the crappy stuff. And, uh, sometimes I even had to make coffee and I was like, oh yeah, I'm a trained barrister, but I'm also now a barrister. <laughs> so, um, I, that was, that was, and I was bored and I actually, actually the, the true reason why I started my VPN company was also because I, I love anime and when the government started blocking all, all these PDP sites, my anime uh, supply was also cut off. And, you know, I, I, I actually started as a hobby and um, just got some random guy on the internet and let's say, hey, let's start a server and, and so we can download what we want. And next thing, you know, we have like, you know, several thousands and thousands of users uh, using our VPN service and... I ran this all along while doing my legal career. So uh, that's that was also kind of like bled me dry because I was just tired all the time <laughs> doing both law and, and my VPN business. And 
a bunch of other businesses as well. Yeah. So the timeline was, uh, I guess, 2007 to 2017. I guess VPN and a legal career were together and I still run my VPN company. Um, but yeah, um, I went full-time in January 2018. So, uh, But I started in Zcoin at about October 2016 as a community manager. Gotcha. So you went full time right at the worst time in crypto. <laughs> I mean, yeah, technically, yeah. technically, it's not the worst time in crypto. I mean, you know, there's we've seen worse in 13, 14. But again, I mean, obviously, you know, you quit everything. It's like 2017. You're like, woo, Bitcoin to the moon. Yeah. And the drop, right? So yes. now, now what's what's going through your mind right now, right? So you're, you, you came on full time, you know, you just left, you know, your legal career, you, you know, you got your parents that are probably driving, you know, probably calling you saying, what the hell did you do? You know, like, did you look at the price? I'm watching it on, you know, CNBC. <laughs> what's going through your mind? Actually, my father's really proud of what I'm doing. So he's Even, been really supportive. At first, he was a bit skeptical. It was like, wow, you know, you sure about this? But the thing is that even before that, I was telling him like several years back, I was like, I, I, I want to quit law. And and then uh, I, I was given a, a partnership of the firm and that made it worse. Uh, like, you know, it's supposed to be a good thing, but I didn't enjoy like being a partner of the firm. It just had a lot of additional responsibilities as well. Um, and my dad, he was like, hey, you know, whatever you do, uh, a legal a law degree is really flexible. You should just go and do and what makes you happy because he was seeing how burnt out I was. I was like working 16-hour uh, days and and my health and, and my relationships also were, were suffering. And... Um, even though like the price went down and everything, I really believe in what I was doing, which I guess uh, really helped in tidying me through. It, it still was, uh, you know, living in Borneo is great also because like a bowl of noodles costs like $1.50 US dollars. So I don't get that much <laughs> money to survive. Uh, but yeah, I, I haven't really been thinking so much about price Obviously, when the price goes up, it's great. Um, but I do believe that, you know, when 2017, you take a look at all those chat channels and you see everyone's like, oh, when's the price of the moon? When's the next high? And everyone's just talking about price. I really enjoy it because when I went full time, that whole slump went 2018, 2019. Our community became a lot more mature because they were like, all right, yes, of course, price is important. No one can say it's not important. But there are also other things that are as more important than price. Like what, what's the vision that we're, we're trying to do? Like privacy, why is it important? Why is our technology good? Uh, what are we trying to do to, to combat this, uh, you know, like increasing uh, breaches of privacy into our lives? And when the, the set of people that we have, yes, we still have the moon boys, but... Um, we have a much more balanced group right now. That means people who generally understand the technology and the, the potential for, for what we are working at. So I think that's, that's a, you know, I guess it's like a good flush out uh, and, and it was a time to, to really build like who are our pillars of our community. So I think that was cool. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, you touched on a lot of stuff right there. And obviously there's a lot of people that were just, you know, looking, like you said, moon boys, things like that. But um, the biggest, the biggest thing I got out of all that was your parents were supporting you. So that's pretty awesome that they were still supporting you through the bad times. 
And then obviously the people that are still here through, you know, the, the ups and the downs and all that kind of stuff. Most of them are here for, you know, the right reasons for the tech, like you said. So with like Zcoin, man, basically, you know, we haven't had you on the channel before. Uh, people have been asking for you. So you're here. What is Zcoin? You know, kind of like in a nutshell, what is it that's, um, you know, kind of what do you guys do? Why, why, should oh. we, uh, why should we use it? All that kind of cool stuff. Uh, basically, we're a privacy coin. So, um, well, most people don't really understand privacy on blockchain very well. But, uh, you know, because blockchain is completely transparent because everyone has to verify that a transaction has happened, how much money has passed. And the problem with that is that when you have total transparency, uh, although Bitcoin, you don't have like a name there, you have an address. Uh, what actually happens is that there are companies or even like researchers who are able to do analysis on uh, the blockchain and find out who owns all this stuff. So I guess the idea is that if I'm paying for a cup of coffee, uh, you know, I'm giving information about, you know, how much I have, uh, who I've transacted with and, and all this type of things. And what Zcoin's plan is basically we want to have a version of a cryptocurrency that has privacy um, that allows you to, to do all these amazing things that cryptocurrencies enables, but with privacy. And I think it's a really important pillar of what cryptocurrencies or original cryptocurrencies were supposed to be about. Yeah. Gotcha. And then so, I mean, the actual chain where you guys actually started from, is this basically a fork of Bitcoin that you guys added you know, privacy to? Sure. Yes. Uh, we, we started with a Bitcoin core. I don't know whether we'll, we'll be a Bitcoin core forever, but the, the base core uh, is a Bitcoin as a relatively small team. It just made sense to be able to get exchange listings and all this type of things and just focus on the privacy tag, which can be ported over to other chains as well. But yes, we are basically a Bitcoin core with a privacy layer built on top. And so do you think people outside of crypto really care about privacy? You know what I mean? Do you really think that they care? Or they The people that are in the space obviously do. But do you think like, for instance, like with Facebook, you know, they're going to have, you know, a stable coin of sorts, right? That obviously some centralized company is going to know everything about them from all their social stuff to their financial stuff. It's kind of scary when you think about it. But do you think that the average person cares about this stuff? I wouldn't say that. I mean, right now, I would say maybe 80% of people don't care. All right. But that figure used to be a lot smaller. <laughs> you know, we, we used to be giving our information willy nilly. Now, you know, I guess thanks to Snowden, uh, you know, we're starting to realize that, hey, maybe I shouldn't be giving up this type of stuff. And thanks to like the Facebook scandals with all those data privacy uh, breaches, they're starting to think about, wow, you know, these are the sort of stuff that can happen to me if privacy is broken. And we haven't had like, you know, what, any kind of black swan event yet. But I feel that even without that, uh, you know, people like, you know, now like, like WhatsApp didn't use to have like encryption. Now it has end-to-end -end encryption. And, and, and now it's beginning to be more of a thing like, yeah, I want end-to-end -end encryption with my, uh, with my communications. And I feel that as long as there's a significant proportion of people, it doesn't have to be the majority, but even say 10 to 20%, a sizable minority, to have a demand of these features, uh, it is important to, to have privacy when building this type of systems. So I'm okay with like, you know, if 80% of people feel that privacy doesn't matter, that's fine. But for people who want to keep their stuff private, there has to be options. So, you know, people ask me, are you going to replace Bitcoin? 
I, I, I really don't know. You know, I, I honestly think that that's quite unlikely. Uh, but we will be fulfilling like, like a really important and large niche, which is a privacy uh, in your transactions, you know, private stores of wealth. Uh, and, and, you know, because when we're talking about uncensorability and, you know, preventing from like, you know, random people from seizing your funds, I think privacy is really, really important. And we've seen like how Bitcoin, uh, you know, people have been ransomed for, for Bitcoin just because uh, people know that they have a lot of Bitcoin. So I think it's really important for privacy there as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't disagree with you, but it's one of the, one of the common questions, you know, that we get out there is like, why do I care? I have nothing to hide, you know, but again, they, they don't fully understand. So I definitely see the importance of it. And I think it's cool that you do too. But one of the things that for the people in the space that do appreciate it and do request it and do want it, all that kind of stuff, you know, kind of like what's the difference between, you know, say Z coin and, you know, like maybe Monero or dash or Zcash or even grin. What's what makes you better? <laughs> Um, I wouldn't say better. I would say all privacy protocols have their inherent pros and cons. It's all a matter of trade-offs. And Zcoin, I feel, has the most well-rounded uh, privacy protocol. Like, I guess at the, the lowest end of privacy uh, would be something like Dash or like CoinJoin, which is also used in Bitcoin. Basically, you're taking a bunch of coins and mixing them together and then everyone returns. And that offers like really basic privacy that um, maybe it's good enough for day to day but because blockchain is permanent you know uh, as techniques develop those type of techniques aren't really good then you have things like Monero which the reason, uh, why, the reason why it's not good is because like you said it's it's blockchain you can see it forever so eventually yes. you can see every single transaction and go back to your transaction is what you're saying yeah and and because like people are pulling their funds together I have to actively say I want to mix you know, it's, it's not a passive process. I have to f actively find people to mix with, like 10 other people to mix with. Yes, there are systems that sort of automate the finding, but people have to say, I want to mix my coins. I mix it together and then you get your coins back. And because of that, it's also limited by how many people you're mixing with. If only like 10 people mix with you, that's not a lot of anonymity, especially if you do repeated transactions. Uh, you know, suddenly like, oh yeah, yeah, it's one out of 10, but then one out of 10 here, one out of 10 here, and then suddenly I start drawing like common trails. Exactly. So I do feel that it's uh, like with this sort of mixing solutions, um, it, it doesn't really provide like full privacy. It's only very casual privacy. And then uh, you have one setup, which I guess is Monero, uh, which doesn't require you to find people to mix with, but ring signatures. Actually, yeah, ring signatures. So it just uh, search like searches a blockchain and finds inputs to use as a blockchain, uh, and that's been okay. But um, again, it's still hiding in the crowd. Your real transaction is still in there, and if you've seen. Uh, a lot of the recent new academic papers uh, like Flood, XMR and all this type of things. Uh, the weaknesses of a decoy system where basically you're just hiding in the crowd. There are techniques that you can do to de-anonymize this type of stuff. So that's also worrying as well. <clears throat> With zero-knowledge proofs that both Zcoin and Zcash use, we use different type of zero-knowledge proofs. Basically, your money disappears and then reappears at a different location. There's no transaction link. Uh, and we feel that because zero knowledge proves... really is uh, magic yeah. internet money. So it's really... Yes, <laughs> it's magic <laughs> internet money. Uh, and the, the dangers with this type of, 
of I would say zero knowledge proof protocols is that if there's a failure uh, in the the system or the cryptography, Poof. someone can make coins create can create coins out of thin air without the corresponding destruction. Because how it works is that I destroy coins, and then anytime in future I make it reappear. Right. Um, so I think a really common way I, I used to uh, describe it, which is really a bit crude, but everyone gets it, is like. You know, let's say I'm in a plane, right? And you, we all been through a flight and then we smell someone's fart. And we're like, <laughs> oh God, it's someone around me. I'm not exactly sure who, but I know it's one of these people, at least in this plane, right? <laughs> it was <And> you. <laughs> yeah. But, but that, that's what mixing or like Monero or those type of systems, basically like decoys, right? Like I'm hiding in the crowd, but I know it's one of you guys on the plane, right? Uh, with zero knowledge proofs, it's like when I, let's say I let out a fart in the plane, but I'm, I just like make it disappear. And I can choose whenever I want it to reappear, when, when I want it to stink. So it might be even a completely different flight, you know, maybe like, you know, uh, 300 in one year later <laughs> and then suddenly I make it smell and I feel like that anonymity is a lot better that means my anonymity set is not just with the people on the plane or the people that are sitting around me is anyone who ever took a flight on that particular plane uh, so that is that's, awesome that's, yeah, There's so many sound bites here. Oh my God. It's like, you know, <laughs> he explains privacy to us like farting on planes. <laughs> uh, so, so I guess the, the main difference is that, okay, well, what's the difference between you, Zcash and, 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 and Zcoin, right? Why, why would I use you guys? And so we take a more conservative approach. Uh, our cryptography is not... Uh, Zcash cryptography has been often called as moon math because, first of all, it's really, really, really complex. Only a few people in the world actually understand it. Even, like, Zuko doesn't completely understand it. Uh, and it makes it very prone to errors. Like, you know, there was a bug on Zcash that was live for two years that allowed people to create coins out of thin air. But then because it was so complex, no one knew, only a few people knew how to do it. And that's kind of bad. It's kind of like security through obscurity. Well, with Zcoin, you know, our building blocks are really simple. Uh, so that means everyone can say, oh, yeah, I understand how this whole thing works. Uh, we're not using any... Uh, uh, the cryptography that we use is widely used in the industry on the internet. So if our cryptography breaks, the least of your problems would be Zcoin. Well, with uh, something like ZK Snarks, probably only Zcash and, and, and like the other privacy coins that use that have that sort of issue. And I guess the other thing would be we, uh, our new system that is coming out called Sigma does not have something called Trusted Setup. So for those people who, who, who are not familiar, like for this type of zero-knowledge proof systems, you kind of, when you first set it up, you need to generate like certain initial parameters and then destroy it. And if you don't destroy it, if someone retains those parameters, you can basically fool the system and print coins out of thin air at, at will. Uh, so that's a really fundamental problem. So what happens and why is it called a trusted setup is because you need to trust them that they destroyed those parameters. And we feel that's kind of like really against what blockchain is about. Because blockchain is about not having the trust. It's about, you know, like don't trust, verify. And if I have to trust someone to set it up correctly, and even the first ceremony was full of drama, you know, the, some of the guys that were involved in the Zcash ceremony, like just said like, oh, screw this, this is totally like 
rubbish is privacy tier that is not not real. Uh, and I think that was Peter Todd. It's not to say that it's it's horrible. They get really good performance from doing that. But we feel that, hey, look, we want to have a system, no trusted setup, solid cryptography, easy to understand. And that's uh, and while offering the benefits of disappearing thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I did get up until the, the part where you said sniffing farts. So <laughs> other than that, so you also did something really cool, too, in Thailand, man. So you guys actually ran an election on your blockchain. Talk yeah. us through that because there's so many people that say, you know, voting on the blockchain is just, it's stupid. There should be paper ballots. Or you should have some kind of, you know, digital box that you just walk up to and pray that, you know, some centralized solution hasn't, you know, logged your votes or whatever and changed it to whatever they want. The idea of using blockchain is pretty cool. So how did you guys do it? How was the reception of it? You know, kind of walk us through it a little bit. Sure. So actually, um, this was the e-voting system for the Thai Democrat Party, which is one of the major opposition uh, parties in Thailand, and they used to be in government as well. And what happened was um, they wanted to select their new party leader. Uh, Traditionally, what happened was, you know, a bunch of big wigs in the top say like, oh, I choose you. And then they become the leader, right? And that isn't really democratic at at all. Uh, So this uh, then, the then uh, Thai Democrat, Thai Democrat Party chief wanted to make sure that he had the mandate of his uh, members and decided to say, okay, let's open it up to every single Democrat Party member to to vote. Uh, The problem with that is usually it's really costly uh, if you want to do like in polling or how are you going to do it in the e-voting way that is like like transparent and and like people would be satisfied with the results. And actually it was originally designed not to be a system that's using blockchain. It was just meant to be a simple e-voting system. But midway through, or rather quite late in, what happened was the candidates, there were three candidates, and the candidates were suddenly, I don't trust anyone to store the votes. I don't even trust the the, the electoral commission to, to store the votes because you guys are going to pay them off. And how am I going to be certain that those votes are not going to be tampered with? And there was this huge, you know, hollow blue and then like, oh man, we shouldn't do this e-voting. Um, and Parman, which is our founder, he, uh, he was one of the like, you know, advisors for security there. He was like, well, why don't you use blockchain? And then all the other advisors, oh, yeah, why don't we use blockchain? And that's kind of how we came uh, into being because saying like, look, this is a public blockchain. No one has uh, you know, control uh, you know, over it. And this is a database where when you enter information in, it can't be altered and stuff like that. So that's how we came in. We we had certain uh, encryption to make sure that those votes were encrypted when being placed placed on the blockchain, so that um, you know no one can simply open it. Uh, we kind of like had a key and we split it up into different parties, so that only like let's say like uh, all of them came together, they could actually open and and decrypt certain portions of the votes. So that was carried out like a, a combination of using a mobile phone, uh, which required verification with your Thai national ID. And they also had polling stations uh, with a Raspberry Pi device uh, that would also do all this type of transactions. Uh, and as a whole, I think there was like 127,000 votes casted uh, nationwide. I think it it's probably the worst first like blockchain election uh, of that scale. 
uh, and I, the the results were not contested, so I would consider it a success. It only took a few hours to like tally all the results, uh, you know, nationwide. So I think that's pretty pretty good. It, it was mainly just decrypting, making sure there's no duplicates and all this type of stuff. Uh, and it's I think, interesting though because, like you said, that uh, you know. It's, you know, it's basically a privacy coin, privacy blockchain, but you guys are putting votes on it. And then who's in charge of decrypting it? And I only ask this because it doesn't, one of the old sayings is it doesn't matter who you vote for, it matters who counts the votes. Right. So who's in charge, you know, of decrypting all this stuff and, and checking all these votes, right? Because you're saying it, somebody had to tally it, so it wasn't automated. All right, man, so spill it. <laughs> who was the one yeah. counting votes? <laughs> so. I would say like, you know, it was not a perfect system. There were actually many recommendations that we did that were not followed. Um, but what happened was, so how it works is that there's two sets of data. There's the identity data and then there's the voting data. So the voting data just shows who voted for who, right? And then the identity data is also uh, separately encrypted. The vote, the identity data has, uh, if I can remember, has, Two or, three, uh, two or three keys, uh, two keys, and one that is held by a senior Thai Democrat Party member, uh, and then the other by the, the Thai Democrat Election Commission. And only if these two are present, they can open it up and just say, okay, this is a valid voter or not. That, that's all. They, they can't tell who, who voted for who, right? And then there's the other set of data, uh, which is the voting data. And the voting data just shows who voted for who at which polling station. Uh, actually, it doesn't show who voted. It just who, like who was uh, voted, right? That means uh, did I pick candidate A, one, two, or three? Uh, where was uh, where was this vote taken from? And that was uh, encrypted with a different set of keys, uh, which had five different keys uh, with the three candidates and the senior Thai Democrat Party member and the election commission. So we actually suggested that we was open if there were like three out of five, uh, then you could decrypt the thing. But for some reason, they made a horrible decision to require five out of five. And, and thankfully, there was no problems there because we were worried that if someone didn't want the vote to happen, they could just lose their keys. All right. And then what, what are you going to do? <laughs> right. Uh, but anyway, but besides that, so what happens then is that you have the identity data, you have the voting data. You need both to actually say who voted for who. If you just have the voting data, you can tally that, but you don't know who voted for who, right? And if you have the um uh if you have the just the identity data, you you you, you just have the identity data. So only when during the 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 uh, the tallying process all the candidates with their you know security representatives all were there presented their keys uh, and then you know the, the telling was all done so it was all like in, in, in public thing and because they were you know secure in the sense that if I did not provide my keys you, you can't open it and that was all done it was verified and I guess that's how like privacy is protected in that sense so if you're like outsider looking at the blockchain you just see some encrypted data you need all stakeholders including all the candidates to come in and, and open it up so that you have a tying between the 
uh, the yeah, you know what I mean, the idea and the votes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. awesome. I, you know, it's one of those things that I think that this is a much better solution than just a bunch of polling stations where busloads of people oh. with that ID can roll up and just cast their votes and people count them. You know, or just you know they go to some electronic polling station that's controlled by some centralized entity that they can change the votes to whatever they want. So this is definitely a step in the right direction, man. But uh, I would say that limit. Though there there are limits, like I'm not saying that we should use blockchain for all elections. Um, I think it's a step are, in the right direction, though. I mean, step in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not the end all be all, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's still who counts the votes. But there's processes you can put in place to make sure that you know it's a legitimate entity or person or or a group of people that you know are able to see the data and you know confirm that these this is the person that people want. So I, I think I think it's definitely a step in the right direction, man. But but more about you, man. What do you um you got any any uh, hidden talents? Do you have any like skill sets? Something that you know your friends don't know about you? Like maybe I don't know. Maybe you're a, you know a juggler. Maybe you're a headhunter. Maybe you're you know I don't know. Maybe you uh, you can talk to fish like Aquaman, right? You got any you got any hidden skills or talents um well i uh, i run an aikido dojo so i've been yeah aikido man i love it i haven't heard that since i was like in grade school man old steven seagal uh i i don't know how i've been doing for more like 25 years or so for a really long time i run my own dojo i also went into a cage fight i i I fought in mma I did BJJ. I did all this other stuff. Um, I do Muay Thai boxing. So I guess, I don't know if that's a hidden talent, but well, uh, if you're yeah. on TV and people know about it, but that's still, <laughs> that's still pretty freaking awesome though. Right. So, yeah. all right. So for BJJ, man, who's, who's your idol? Who's, who's the guy you respect the most in the space? I actually, like, I wouldn't say that I'm a great BJJ. I only did it for like, about like six months, but I got the basics. Quitter. What I didn't like about BJJ was after work, like, you you're tired and you're like oh man this is a horrible day and then you pay money for like hairy man large man to mount me <laughs> and and sweat all over me yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, sweat drips I, in your eyes man <laughs> i remember one of my first classes i was like what am i doing here because i had this really huge Harry man mounted on top of me and he was is that he, because was, you were questioning your sexuality or no 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 it was like a, it was a north south position which I was like this is just a nice name for six <laughs> exactly man <laughs> and, and, you know we just finished I, pride month here in San Francisco man so there was there was that going on all over the streets dude <laughs> north south position <laughs> north south position and I was like oh wow uh, I actually enjoyed a bit of that uh, but I think what I really <laughs> Did you? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's an experience, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like being held, like, oh, I can't do anything. And you feel really powerless with this man, like, mounted on top of you. But uh, what I really took a shine to was, like, boxing. And it actually helped a lot of my other martial arts. Because Aikido is kind of, like, s- <laughs> semi-compliant. You know, It's using the like other person's power against them. Yes. So when you did boxing and that actually improved, uh, you know, my, my Aikido, my all sorts of martial because of the sparring and like, you know, you're going out with an intention to, to win, right? And, and people are actually trying hard not to lose. And I think that's, uh, that was a key moment uh, 
like sort of like switched on on my martial arts. And oh yeah, well, an interesting story that uh, was that yeah, when I was um, studying, uh, some guy like actually I had a few of these incidents, but there was this guy. I was walking back really late and I, I loved playing at the cyber cafes. That time it was Counter-Strike, StarCraft. And it was about like 2 a.m. and I was walking back from the cyber cafe and there was this guy that came out with me with a knife. And I, I didn't have much on me. I only had like 250 US dollars and I retrospect it was a horrible idea. He pointed me a knife and asked me to give me his money and for some reason I decided to throw him. Uh, but the funny thing was like, okay, I threw him, got into like an Aikido lock and I started freaking out because, okay, what have I done? What am I going to do now? Because usually in Aikido, after you got him in the lock, he taps out and like, (laughs) now I'm like, what am I going to do? You know, he's screaming, he's writhing, he's trying to get out. I'm like, I can't be here forever, right? And I'm also like freaked out. And in the end, I was like, you just just cut his throat and threw him in the dumpster. And so I I was worried about that. And then so I just, I think I dislocated his arm, kicked him a few times and ran off screaming. Uh, (laughs) Wasn't like the the most cool of moments, but uh, it worked. (laughs) So yeah. Well, hey, that's that's a pretty impressive story, man. I wasn't sure how dark it was going to go. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can pretty much end it right there. That was pretty awesome. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess then if you can change anything in the world, man, if you're, you know, let's just call you global dictator for the day, where you know you're more powerful than the president of the United States, you can do anything that you want. You can make people say something silly, dress a certain way, change any law, regulation, whatever. You get that power for the day. What would you do? Wow. Maybe just one I, thing. Maybe just one thing. Make it easy for you. Hmm. I really, I haven't thought about it. I never thought about having that sort of scale of power. <laughs> <laughs> Dictator for a day. Huh? Dictator for a day. Global. Maybe, you know, just have a global motto of don't be assholes to each other. <laughs> because that's what it is, right? Like, uh, you don't know, be a crappy are, human. That's it. Don't be a crappy human. <laughs> and, and maybe, I don't know. I mean, like, yes, it's just a motto, but it's really simple. If you don't be assholes to each other, the, the world will be a lot better. <laughs> yeah, well, I haven't thought friend. about that. I'll yeah. think about that. <laughs> yeah, that's a great one right there, man. Well, it's been awesome, man, having you on and hearing about Z-Coin and all the cool stuff that you guys are doing. We'll make sure to throw the links up there for people so they can go check you out. Unless there's anything else, my friend, you know, we'll just... uh like I said, put out the links and let people come check you out. Oh, yeah. oh, we have an upcoming release, uh, Sigma, which is coming up pretty soon, right. which is a replacement of our new privacy protocol. Uh, and basically, well, you know, not to get into the technicalities, it's, it's just a significant development in privacy technology that's going to come live maybe in about a, a month or so. Uh, so stay tuned. We'll probably have an announcement, you know, within the next one or two weeks. So um, that's pretty exciting for us. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, Ruben. Well, I appreciate you. I'll let you get back to the orangutans and headhunters. Sniffing <laughs> 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 <Snipping> farts. And <laughs> Gosh, I, I didn't make a good impression, right? <laughs> no, I think it's an awesome analogy, man. It's, uh, it's definitely going to stick with people when they think of privacy. They're going to think, oh, I don't want to sit on that plane. So <laughs> awesome, man. Well, have a great one. God bless, and we'll catch you on the next one. Take care. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Huge thanks to Ruben. Really appreciate you coming on, telling us your story, how you uh, kept from getting stabbed. It's pretty awesome. Sniffing farts and planes, (laughs) the analogies with cryptos. That's going to stick with me for a long time. I thought we were onto something with headhunters and orangutans on Borneo, but everything else he dropped there for us was 
pretty pretty memorable. I'm definitely not going to forget this interview. I had a great time hearing about uh, how you guys are different from some of the other stuff like, you know, Grand and Monero and everybody else. And, but uh, yeah, hearing your personal story was pretty awesome too. So thanks a bunch, Ruben. Appreciate it. Hopefully you all enjoyed it as well. Just a friendly reminder, Crypto Beatles shows are never financial advice, recommendations, or trading strategies. The views expressed here are solely that of Robert Beatles and his guests. Robert Beatles is a co-founder of the Monarch Wallet host of Trading View Sessions, Crypto Beatles on YouTube, and on several entities. Robert's opinions here do not reflect that of those entities. Some information shared here may not actually be factual. These shows are for information and entertainment purposes only. Never invest a single Satoshi or penny in anything without first seeking the counsel and advice of a professional financial advisor. Robert Beatles is not a financial expert or advisor. Investing in anything is super dangerous. You can lose all of your money, so always trade at your own risk please help us grow the family. Give us a comment and review on the Apple or Google Play Store. It's super quick and easy. Just scroll down, click the little stars, comment, and just help us grow the family. All right. God bless you. Love you. Catch you on the next one.